there. Hey, Finn, how you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Hey, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. My name is Yutha Shite, and with me is... Finn Sound Nicholas. And together, we are Shite and Sound. You're listening to the Shite and Sound Survivalist Podcast. That's right, everyone. It's a year to the day since the dark pigeons crossed the sky, dropping their hefty loads, uh, making the world fall to nuclear ash and rumble, and... You're with your number one survival in the apocalypse podcast. We answer questions from listeners. Most most like my arm keeps falling off. How can I reattach it? Yeah. Or like, I thought I had all the time in the world to read these books, but I stepped on my glasses. And then, of course, I say to them, to, to quote John Hodgman, now you're dying of sepsis and irony, nerd. <laughs> and, and also... People calling in to be like, am I the last person alive? Is there anyone out here? I've been walking dazed and alone through city streets. Yeah. And we have to tell you, no, you're not the last person. Yeah. But you are legend. You keep talking about films, but all because as part of the the day the world ended, Mm. um, there was obviously lots of EMP, all digital materials destroyed. Um, The first thing we burned... Was, was all, all our old nitrates. Well, because they're, they're all ready to go, like yeah. gunpowder, some of that stuff. So that was easy to keep the great furnaces in our mobile cities going. Yep. And, and I understand you lived through the before times. We all did. It was only a year ago, but it just seems gauche now to mention films because we'll never watch them again. You know, we've only got our memories. Yeah, it's like like it's like a real Mr. Burns in here. Oh, the, the play. The play, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's the post-electric play. Yeah, it is. Um, how do we get this podcast out to people? Uh, that's a secret. Carrier pigeon. <laughs> yeah, secret carrier pigeons. Pod in podcast now stands for pigeon on demand. You just go outside and yell pigeon, and a pigeon comes with a, a wax cylinder containing yes. this uh, this recording. And you give it to another pigeon so someone else can listen to it. So thanks. So this is really yeah, it's, a it's work file sharing. Yeah, um, and when it's in the rain, it's torrenting. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's why you're laughing. It's just, just a fact of our life. And so we got a pretty big question uh, from one of our readers. Uh, um, so we'll, we're going to devote the whole episode to this. Okay. And I have to stress, I would find it very unuseful if you mentioned or alluded to any films okay i promise i will under no circumstances do that okay hi um i live in a warren of underground tunnels uh, in a kind of 60s retro future a lot of like transparent plastic and and reflective metals um and uh, a group of leading scientists have recruited me they say i volunteered (laughs) <laughs> to to uh they say be sent back in time <laughs> to stop the the terrible event that took us all Finn you're rocking backwards and forwards in your chair and I just want to know why what, what's brought that on I can't say I can't I I can't I can't can't say I can't tell you no, it's okay. You can you movies. Can. There's some movies about it. Oh, Finn. There's movies. I didn't know it was going to be that. Oh, it seems so much like I forced you into a corner here. It does. It re- It really, uh, really does. But obviously, since you disobeyed me, me your master, um, as I am one of the elite, 
I'm one of the above grounders and you are my sub-dwelling servant and we do this mm-hmm. podcast together, Pigeon on Demand, um, cheerful, awesome sound team. Um, I, I now have no choice since you've disobeyed me. Oh, no. You're not, not again. Yeah, I'm going to have to memory wipe you, Ugh. which, uh, as we know, is like killing you, but we still retain your body and it's just a fresh personality appears. You know, like we raise you like a baby, but you're in an adult's body. Um, we've done this many times with you. And so as you're about to head to, to memory wipesville, you're self-deleted forever. Do you have any last requests? We can do anything. You know, you've already broken the rules. We could we could watch two films, then talk about them. You know, it'd be crazy. Well, now, now that you mention it, I think that to properly answer this this listener's question, we should watch the films La Jete and 12 Monkeys and then talk about them. Okay, but how? I've just established that all of them. Do you know what's crazy? What? I was going to ask how we're going to watch them, but I remembered we we watched them like two hours ago. Oh, oh yeah, we did. Oh, yeah. Okay, sweet so it is. Great. Uh, we'll do that. Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we watched number 52 on the Sight and Sound list, La Jete. Chris Marker's bittersweet and elliptical reflection on memory, war and love told almost entirely through still images. Our second film this week is 12 Monkeys. Basically just La Jete, but with a whole lot more of Bruce Willis's ass. a good butt though Bruce Willis is three different times we see him like showered and scrubbed down I think it's just twice oh yeah and then we see Brad Pitt's butt once oh I mean who hasn't though Mm. so La Jete La Jete 12 monkeys they go hand in hand yeah they're both films about people being sent into the past there's no other connection between them no and they, they kind of reflect on each other a lot. I wonder, I wonder if Terry Gilliam, when he was making Two of Monkeys, thought about La Jete at all. Mm, I no, don't know. You, you've just said something that's triggered something in my mind. So I'm going to oh, go yeah. into my memory palace for a second. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I just, I just remember the opening credits of 12 Monkeys where it says uh, adapted from the- Inspired uh, by- yeah, where it says inspired by the Chris Marker film La Jete. So uh, I think there might actually be a connection here. You son of a gun. I think you're right. Mm. So let's first, let's talk about La Jete first. Chris Marker, mainly kind of a montage filmmaker. We've mm. discussed him already with Sun Soleil. Yes. Um, uh, uh, part of the left bank wing of the avant-garde, hanging out with uh, old Vardy. Yeah, with and, Jacques Rivette. And Jacques Demi as mm. well. Um, and the, he's a... Uh, He's a good guy. Uh, and the, in, it's 1962. Uh, it's French. We watched the French version. Yeah. There's an English version. 
well, which also exists um, and, and was overseen by Marker, I believe. So it was, anyway, we watched the French version written and directed by Marker. Definitely his most visible work of f- fiction yeah. film, if not his only, but I haven't gone, I've seen the big ones. Yeah. I haven't gone deep into the back catalog. Yeah, I first saw this a couple of years ago. It was the first thing of Marker that I'd seen. It's very different in a lot of ways than Sansolet, his his other film on the list. Yeah, but like there is a definite shared sensibility. Well, they, yeah, they like it. It is hard because they like he is all about the kind of very linear interaction of picture on picture mm. and then sound and specifically words over the top. Yeah, uh, of that he, uh, he is he is always interested in uh, he's always interested in memory. That's one of his big things. Yeah. And perspective and montage. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, how, how, like, how, how time changes us and how time changes the way we, 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 we perceive and interact with different images and, uh, and emotions. And those are all the noteworthy things to say about La Jete. It's in black and white, but uh, it's It's French for the pier. Or the airport, as mm. it is used in this, because it's like a pier at an airport. Yeah. And uh, in the translation we watched, the subtitles translated Jete as airport. Right, right. Because um, it's this man, he has a recurring memory uh, uh, of a time before the apocalypse. Yeah, he, uh, he's, he's, he's living in... Uh, un- he's living in tunnels underground Paris. Yeah. Uh, after, after World War Three. And he has been uh, he's he's been taken prisoner, and he is subjected to experiments. And some of these experiments involve him being sent back in time, sort of. Well, yeah, he. It is interesting because, like I said to you, Twelve Monkeys, like it's a miracle they got away with saying inspired because, mm. in everything. But material fact, like material detail, it is a remake. Yeah. In that it is so much of Jete is kind of about this question over what is it that he's thinking. Uh, as in when when he sits in these hammocks and they put- uh, They put some foam on his eyes. And, and with wires in the foam and they send him into the past, is he just dreaming? Is he going crazy? Mm. Is the past real and the future a dream? which are all the same. So it's not like 12 Monkeys didn't just take the plot. Mm. It took the themes. Yes. And it just uh, repeats them a lot in in a way that at times I find quite irritating. And it it does seem very strange for a half hour film to kind of say almost exactly the same thing as um, a two hour film. Yeah. And especially when there is 23 years between them and it, when it feels like storytelling has gotten faster. But like there is one thing, you may not have noticed this while watching it, that, that helps I think La Jete get its points across sooner. And not a lot of people know this, but actually, did you notice something was funny? Was that with the, the cinematography? Yeah, I, I, thought the, I thought the pictures were moving kind of slowly. Ah, what you haven't picked up on, and that's okay. It take, it's only sensitive people who notice, but La Jete is actually... Force sensitive. <laughs> I mean, I believe in The Last Jedi. I believe that everyone has that capacity, and it is that the, the, the mythologizing those who hold it is the real threat. 
Um, anyway, that's a pity they never made a sequel to that. Yeah, it's too, it's too bad. They finally made a good Star Wars film and then they said no more. Yeah. But enough about Solo. Um, everyone loves Solo. Paul Bettany. Olden Ehrenreich. Not Woody Harrelson. Thunderway Newton. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. That, that big uh, bug lady. Oh, Donald Glover. Actually, I like it. No. Oh, man, on paper, Solo is so good. Yeah. God. How did they fuck that <laughs> up? I mean, because it was made by Disney. Hey. We just talked about how Disney has finally made a thing I want. Yeah, they finally made the perfect movie, Black Widow. No, no mistakes. No, the, no, the, the, the temptation of a TV yeah. series about Florence Pugh killing Jeremy Renner. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's what we all want. And like, in my head, it's just Lady Macbeth with one actor swapped out. And also Haley Steinfeld's fear. Oh, yeah, archery. so two actors. Yeah. Two actors swapped out. She can be the maid who helps Lady Macbeth. <laughs> Oh, check it out. Lady Macbeth, if you've not seen it. Great entry point to Puniversity. Film 101 at Puniversity. Absolutely. Um, everyone, you know, thinks it's Midsommar, but no. But then we've got comparative Midsommar in which we watch the original and the director's cut <laughs> and compare it with the published script, which, of course, shows an even longer version. Right. That's a, that's a two-trimester course. Mm. We've had some complaints about that course. They say it really does people's heads in. People say they can't bear it. Can I just, can I tell you? No, no, they they can't bear it. Yeah, no, I get it. No, 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 they, (laughs) you for hit, they can't bear it. Okay. Because they're alcoholics. (laughs) Uh, All right. Um, Piss on a sacred tree. Um, Anyway. What you missed. Yeah, the, 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 the pissing of a sacred tree. Well, what you miss by not being able to see us live is that, that Finn could see me winding up to a Midsommar pun with uh, it really does their head in. But there was a look of both annoyance and respect when I got to it. So it was it was a real journey. Anyway, uh, La Gite, 1962. Finn. Yes. Only really sensitive people will notice this, but that cinematography is not slow. It's not like, you know, animation where they go in every 12 frames a second uh, or or like deliberately stuttering things create jarring effects like a you know a montage in a Wong Kar Wai film mm. it's in fact this film is um all shots but one are still photographs what yeah I know and not even like on your iPhone with with the the motion setting on so you get like two seconds of motion yeah I've, I always so sometimes that just like turns on for some re- for some reason and yeah. then I Forget to turn it off, and then my pictures come out terrible. Yeah, because you updated your phone, and it automatically turns it on when you updated your phone, and it's because file sizes on those are much bigger, and it's so they can sell bigger hard drives mm. in their phones. And I know they're not hard drives; they're it's flash storage. But mm. anyway, anyway, it really annoys me when that happens. I need all that space for my podcasts and all my all my mountain goats bootlegs. <laughs> I thought you were going to go. I need that space. For my podcasts and all the details of all the ladies. Oh, yeah. No, it's not. That's not really my sort of humor, you No, but it would be, but that's the, it would be funny. I think, Finn, I don't want to be ambiguous on what I'm saying. I think the idea of you as a sexual <laughs> being 
is abject and thus hilarious. Mm-hmm. I, and See, I, I just think it's the first part. I don't I, think it reaches hilarious. No, no. I And I want to be clear. I want to say this seriously, dead right to you. It is only because it disgusts and angers me. <laughs> you know, it's like people joking about rape culture. That is, it, it <laughs> makes me furious. Oh, oh my God. I cannot stress how little I mean that to the people <laughs> listening. And what marker doing the whole thing, and, and apart from marking this film out, like the first thing you learn about La Jete is that it's all stick. As stick figures, still photos except for one shot where the woman's head moves slightly. And she, and she opens her eyes. And yeah. Um, it is that it allows for real precision in storytelling. Like it starts with two text cards of the like, there's this guy. The world is over. World War Three happened. Yeah. Now there's this guy. He has this memory. Then we see the memory, the airport, him there. The man, the man flailing, this iconic image, his memory, this man flailing into the air, flailing his arms, and he realised later that he'd seen a man die, and it does that in like 30 seconds. Yeah, it is, I think, the only film that you can truly say there are no wasted frames. Uh, I, you, mm, mm. I, I think there's a 22-minute cut of it. Yeah. Because then we spend a lot of time underground. Uh, this man, he's played by Davos Hanek. Uh, uh, lives underground in this sea of, of catacombs beneath, but not the catacombs, beneath Paris. Um, and, and so we see the people around him. They're wearing kind of retro future glasses. They're staring at him. Yeah, They're doing yeah, experiments if, on Everything's people. futuristic but shitty. I wonder, I wonder if that aesthetic's going to influence anyone. No, we'll never see it again. Um, and, and he is um, sent... And they take him, they experiment on him, and they send him into the past. Yeah. These scientists have been experimenting on lots of people, and everyone either dies or goes insane. But then they figure out that the way to make sure that someone doesn't go insane when they are made unstuck in time is to find someone with a very like strong mental image of, of a moment in the past. Yeah. And, and if they have that, a very clear idea of where they were at a specific moment, then they will be able to uh, not go insane. And so because this guy has this recurring memory of seeing a woman's face and seeing a man die just a few days before the entire world went to shit, he is chosen as a candidate to be sent back in time. Yeah, and he... Uh, and he, he's, he's, he's there sent are back several looking, attempts. Yeah, and he, he's, he's, he's sent back looking for things like food and medical supplies and energy sources. And is he supposed to stop? He's he's not supposed to stop the world from ending in, in this one. It, no, because it's mainly about them testing time travel because yeah. they want to send him to the future, to the far future. Right, yes. Yeah, so it, I think that, that that's one of the like main differences between between Jete and 12 Monkeys is that yeah. in, in, in 12 Monkeys he is sent to the past to save the future, but in, in Jete they've accepted that they are essentially screwed they can go back in time to find things that might make their present easier but but there's nothing they can do that will that will fix it yeah um and yeah he go he goes back to the time of that memory he meets the woman from from the memory yeah and, and that is like and up until that point that he doesn't know that it's necessarily a memory 
that is in his head. And I think that it's about now that I would be like, so you're the, you're the woman from my memory. I, I remember you. Uh, is there any chance, chance. Uh, you might have already seen a guy be killed? Because else it might be me. Mm. Like, it is kind of hard to watch this film without being like, you know, I, I do think he should work out what's going to happen. He seems to me a bit of a dum-dum. Yeah. And, and, and I, so it's hard for me to take this seriously. Like, because if you're going to get sent in the past, you're probably going to be killed there. Uh, in an ironic way that reflects your own memory. Yeah. But he's too busy falling in love with this woman, Helene Chatelain, um, and who who is a filmmaker herself, mm. uh, um, you know, part of the that left bank. Yeah. And his trips to the past aren't permanent. He is sort of there for maybe maybe a few hours or a few days and then is and then is sucked back into into his time. And so they keep sending him back and forth and he starts to lose track of where he is and what is real. And there is a real feeling of just being totally unstuck, which 12 Monkeys, I think, is never quite as interested in. Well, and because it kind of can't. Yeah. And, and because so much of the unstuckness is in the fact that we are seeing every moment of this film in the format of his memory. Yeah. Like when you're introduced to the memory through the freeze frames, you're like, this makes sense because it is a memory. You only remember moments in a memory. Yeah. You only remember pictures. It makes sense to see that. And when that logic continues and you're like, oh, we are being presented this whole thing as if it is a memory, as if it is within a mind, you know, the mm. fit, uh, it inherently questions everything at a formal level, like baked into the still frame format is this. Yeah, no, it's a question about perspective, about point of view in the film. And so that whenever 12 Monkeys goes to, like the very fact that we've seen both timelines, like in 12 Monkeys, it's obvious to me that he has actually traveled into the past. Yes. Whereas in La Jete, I don't know. Mm. Um, and I think that's the big difference. And I think that's a formal difference. I think that's the difference between one being moving and one being still and one being narrated and one being Bruce Willis, you know? Yeah. yeah. But I think like, I, I find La Jete incredibly entrancing and, and like incredibly dense for its length. Again, to I, I think there, I think just the establishing run through those first catacombs. Oh, it's like five minutes, and I wish it was two. That's right. when it feels, uh, uh, not to tip my hand to the future too much, but like a lot of the negative reviews of this film are like, it's so boring. And it's like, that's the bit where I understand why people find it boring. Right. You know? Yeah. But when you are just engaging with a present tense love story that's in the past tense, uh, for the film and, and might not be real or might just be a dream that like, that's a really beautifully layered thing. And it just helps that they are like she, uh, Helene's surname, uh, uh, Chatelain is a great screen presence. Mm. Um, and, and then giving us that moment 
it's at about 20 minutes in yeah when she yeah, looks it, it's it's i think just over halfway just gives you that there's like this flutter in it and, and i just think that's really electric and like it, it's really easy for so long i was skeptical of this film standing in film circles because mm. i hadn't like i saw when i saw Twelve monkeys for the first time i was like yeah sure and I was like, that, that's on the list because you kind of have to, if you're assembling a list of the top 100 films, you should have at least one animation, which these guys don't, which anyway sucks. But how is Spirited Away not in the top 10? That's a conversation for another time. You also kind of got to have, you got to have some documentaries in there and you kind of, yeah. you got to have one really weird one. Yeah. And so like Jete has always felt like it's kind of got a, gotten in on the format card, if you know what I mean. But as I've engaged with it more, I'm like, oh no, like this, this film is in still frames and it has to be. It's not a gimmick. When we were looking for a film to pair with this, there have been many other films made this way. So many short films. Yeah. It's just not, not yeah. viable to pick one. And a couple of features, Alfonso Caron's song made a feature. Oh, okay. Um, and, and I was going to pitch it to put, to do with Jete, except it seems like it's actually quite good mm. and um, yeah and 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 also you kind of you kind of just have to do 12 monkeys with 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 this is the one i think i have thought about the most in terms of like what we could do with it mm. if you know what i mean yeah um when i first had the idea for this podcast i think this was like the first thing i came up with for the past few years i've been trying to think is there anything that is like actually a bad movie that we can do with lajete because I like Twelve Monkeys a lot. And yeah, but, and it's real, and it's just, it's just like as we get to a Twelve Monkeys, Twelve Monkeys is real good too. Yeah. You know, like it. Yeah, seems it's hard to find know what the pairing is. Yeah. Um, but and like Twelve Monkeys isn't bad. It just isn't shite. You know, it just anyway. It, it is well, like what do you pair with Lajite? Yeah, because yeah, again, and all those other still films, like the way Caron's son made his film, was that he just for a year took photos, then he assembled them into a story and recorded voices. Right, which is like that sounds very interesting to mm. me, and by all accounts, like it is, and I'm I, I I want to see it. It's you know anyway, um, it'll be on movie someday, inevitably. Yeah. Um, and maybe it already is. Uh, but that doesn't. That's not La Jetée at all. Like no, that is for being a like French nineteen sixties avant garde film. This has a very clear and very strong story, and you can tell that all of the pictures were very specifically taken and chosen to tell this story. And, and it tells it real well. It, it, yeah. Like to to state the 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 fucking obvious. But yeah, it it just. It, it's like it's a masterful alignment of of narrative and um container yeah but also like like what can you say like so much in the experience of it is watching it like and the oh, you know who i know who we should shout out jean raval who is the editor oh right because yeah. In many ways, this is the most obviously edited film of all time. Yes. You know what I mean? Every decision is a decision. And it seems quite miraculous to me that it is so transparent because every cut, you're because you're going from nothing to nothing, no movement. There's nothing to carry you except for the picture changing and sometimes sound. Um, that it feels so natural to me and that only one bit of it feels boring. Yeah, I've, it's just quite astounding. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's something that I would 
like yeah, I've seen it twice now. I, I I've I've liked it a lot both times, but it is something that I find kind of hard to like sit with and and like let it wash over me. Yeah, and I, I I would I think I would I would really like to see this in a theater one day. I think I think that would be the place to see it. I hope that one day Dockage Festival, mm. the New Zealand Documentary Festival, does like a marker retrospective. Yeah. Um, because yeah, no, seeing it. Oh, I'm trying to be like yeah, trying to seeing it in the space, if you know what I mean, of a, um, of a regular film. Seeing this in the land where it is like. Yeah, you're so used to things moving up here. Yeah, as <laughs> uh, bizarre a statement as that is to make, but you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So Finn, mm-hmm. here's my question to you. Like, yeah, and there have been other riffs on this. There's the there's the um I've seen footage music video, <laughs> which is just the whole of someone the camera roll from someone's phone. Yeah. Shown one time. Uh, great music video. Let's say Lajete goes huge. It comes out in 1962. Yeah. It's only 28 minutes long, mainly shown as a short subject, Tech, not even a feature by the rule that they have to be over 40 minutes. Yeah. You know? but, but inexplicably, it takes over the world. Everyone's seeing it. Big hit. So you just can't fucking stop talking about Jeté, right? Mm. And so this becomes its whole genre. You know, every year we, we, we get moving films, but we also get Jetés, yeah. you know? What? What jeté? What would your favorite jeté, modern jeté film be? Right. So the idea is an adaptation of of John Daniel's Universal Harvester, done in the style of La Jeté, but all the sequences where they're watching the footage spliced into the films is all, all of the, all of those are moving, and so it, it's 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 stills until you get to the the parts where people are like shocked by this that this this like disturbing and unsettling footage. Uh, I was not expecting a legitimately good idea. Yeah. But that, yeah, if you haven't read that book, read that book. It's yeah, great. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, very annoyingly, John Daniel is as good at writing novels uh, as he is at um, Complete the Thought Brain at um, writing song lyrics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Being a mountain goat was yeah. what I wanted to say. Right. How could I forget? Oh, man, he's great. Yeah. God. And he releases like an album a year and they're all they're fucking tight. What a god damn! You know he he put out two albums last year, and he's already put out one album this year. John, if you're listening, I love you, but stop it. I will make it through this year if I kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that Ruben Spiel who got banned from Twitter recently for posting Mountain Goats lyrics? What? No, what? There was someone who uh, who posted some of the lyrics to Up the Wolves. Yeah. He, I, I'm gonna. I think it was. It was uh, there was there was a post about the, about the Olympics being bad, and someone retweeted it with, "I'm going to bribe the officials. I'm going to kill all the judges. It's going to take you people years to recover from all of the damage." And then someone told John about that, yeah. and so he posted a Twitter friendly rewrite of the Wolves. I yeah no, I can't think of, that's great. I can't think about that because that makes me reckon with the fact that um both Japanese and Olympic officials are committing what I consider to be. Um, a genocidal act of murder by holding the Olympics. Yep. Um, but anyway, oh no. <laughs> I mean, here's what my lajite would be yeah. if I was making a lajite in the modern world. 
I would get all the photos off theme park rides, you know, when people are oh, oh, yeah, going yeah. down. And then I'd have AI look at them and analyze mouth shapes and then stabilize it. And then so people yelling's mouths form into speaking, <laughs> like all rapidly next to each other, like they're talking. I think that's a good, do you understand? Like, and you, yeah, yeah, like yeah. a flip book almost. <laughs> and they're just, and it's just like talking head interviews with people talking about environmental destruction. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, no, yeah. like, I, again, I was like, how do I turn <laughs> this into a joke? No, it's just a genuinely good pitch. And like, I, so like, La Jete is great. Watch it, it's short. It surely is on YouTube. And, uh, like, yeah, I, I would think uh, so. Uh, or, or it, it will be available. If you've got an even faintly art house friendly video shop near you, they'll have it. Mm. Um, but there's just not much to say about it, apart from the fact that, like, grainy black and white stills age incredibly well uh, yes. and make the retro future of it look great. And yeah. It, it's 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 like the, the it's like the same the same thing with the segment of Raging Bull where you're seeing all of those black and white stills and it's like yeah the, the, these will never not look incredible. Uh, yeah, it's just it's top notch shit. Mm. And and uh, like and as much as like there's the useful thing about it in that what well, you know Christopher Nolan shot following in black and white not because it was cheaper but because black and white adds 10k to your budget is his line about mm. it and like that's so true here. and you think they're like this is black and white stills because doing this any other way would have cost um several orders of magnitude more yeah. in the budget as we will see in 12 monkeys and yet the, he was like I want to make films in the dystopian future uh, to afford that I can pro- I can do it on I can do it in stills. What's a story that fits that? Mm. Like that it that fr- it, from every angle everything ends up feeling logical. Like from a plot from a technical side, it is this like beautiful thing. And yeah. I do prefer like Sensolay. I like a lot, as I talked about on the Sensolay yes. episode. And I think I like it more than this, just because there's more of it and there's more to get into. Right. Yeah. But like. La Jete is kind of the perfect short film. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, there, 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 there is a reason why everyone who's ever taken a film class will have seen it. Yeah, and not just and like it is. Oh, I don't know. It's like King Lear. Like it is. It is a an S tier masterpiece that's taught at one hundred and one for a reason. Yeah, Godot. Um. So I guess what I'm saying is that I think it's sound. Uh, yeah, I would agree that it's sound. Okay. Finn, I have terrible news for you. Oh, no. Oh, what, what's, what's that? You know your best friend, Kevin Keane? You like what live each other's reviews on Letterboxd. I can't remember him, but maybe that's because I'm unstuck in time currently. Well, his, his profile photo is um, you as the best man at his wedding. Oh, crazy. Um, and, yeah, you, you haven't liked his review of La Jete, and... Maybe you haven't seen it, mm. and I don't. Like, I I would hate to. I would just if I was as close with him as you are, I'd want to hear this. Mm. Uh, first problem, uh, it's a half star review. Oh, Kevin, doesn't get any better. Fuck this movie, K hole. Come on, <laughs> it is a lazy movie. 
but people who think they are better than everyone else. I think he's talking about you there. Mm. It is so empty, still talking about you. It is literally the easiest movie you could make. But for some reason, it has gained this idea of being important and sophisticated. Quotes there for important and sophisticated. God, I hate this movie. Oh, so he's been talking to God for this whole letter. Uh, it is excruciating to get through. Is, is that it? Yeah, how do you... It's pretty tough to learn something so horrible about someone so close, but yeah. our job as men is to face down problems like that and, yeah. and speak truth to us. So if you could take uh, a moment to talk to Kev, your friend... Well, I mean, since I was the best man at his at, um, Did you almost I'm, say the best man at his funeral? Yes, and that is a thing I've said before. <laughs> when, when when telling people about my best friend's wedding and being the, and being the best man there, I've said my best friend my best friend's funeral, and not realised that I've said it, and it makes the conversation very weird sometimes. Yeah, but uh, my 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 real best friend is uh, still alive. Yeah, I have not murdered him. Yeah. It's okay. Stop winking so much. Well, my, they can't hear that. Oh, yeah. I'm, just, I'm winking so much my eyes are closed. Oh, right. So it is. So, uh, yeah, uh, Kev- Kevin, uh, canine, Kevin Ferracci. <laughs> yep, a great person to compare someone to. I mean, uh, this guy's also bad at reviewing movies. Wow. Right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure what to say about that. I've, I've, but uh, I think that's uh, uh, that's a uh, it's a, a bad way to think about movies. I mean, saying that about about La Jete is is really one of those moments where someone looks at a Jackson Pollock and says, "I could have done that." <laughs> yeah, and it's like, okay, then go go fucking do it fifty years ago and this well. Yeah, if you'd invented this and done it perfectly. Everyone would love you as well, but you didn't, so they don't. There's a thing you've said on the podcast before, which is you don't think that someone should get a prize just for doing something first. Yeah. But also, you really don't get a prize for 40 years later being like, oh, I could have done that. Yeah, and also, like, I just to be clear on, oh, so I'm not a hypocrite. Mm. Like, Marka is codified as having done this first. Mm. He also does it brilliantly, and it's the second half of that that I care about. Yeah. Um, like someone else would have ended up at, at this idea. Mm. Um, but that, yeah, he just kills it. Like, like what the fuck else is there to say? <laughs> he kills it. Um, anyway, any who, any. Oh, and I mean, we should also say, but, uh, apart from just like looking beautiful because they are grainy black and white stills, the, the, the composition of the, of the images is also incredible. And, and not. It's not like it's just a series of, uh, no, it's not like a series of prettily fo- posed things. Yeah. Like, like, like that shot of, of a woman standing by the railing and the man in the foreground crumpling backwards as one of the great images in the film. Yeah. And with good reason. Yeah. Yeah. No, anyway. Yeah. It's great. It is. It is great. Do you know what else is great? What? Most of K-Dogs, K-Holes top films oh really well i okay so his top four which which you you will guess Mm. 
um, is what I would call the standard letterbox film guy top four. Right. Almost to Joker. the point of parody. No, Inception. no, no, like good, like good. No, oh. Inception is good, but yeah. it's not like a top four film. And that includes within it the one, one music documentary, the way that we would include Stop Making Sense. And this is for people who are a bit younger. So the subject is slightly more recent. It's from uh, 2015. It's uh, directed by Brett Morgan. Uh, I'll give you some of the cast. Mm. Christ Novoselic. Oh, is, is this uh, uh, is this Cobain montage of heck? Yes, it is. Yeah. I was I was gonna play a game of like, how far can I get up the cast? No, I was I was considering buying a secondhand Blu-ray of that yesterday. Oh wow! Uh, and then three pretty film guy films, mm. and I don't want to give you any more information than that. You've not seen one of these, but you should. Her. No. Okay. Is um. Okay, uh, is 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 there a Tarantino one there? Yes. Uh, it's, I'm going to say it's not Pulp Fiction. It is not. No. Uh, okay. Uh, is 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 it uh, is is it a, is it a two thousands? No. It's a it's a it's a twenty tens. No. It's a nineties. Yes. Okay. It's uh, is 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 it a boring choice or an interesting choice? Not boring. I'd say R- Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So, but like you see the level we're at. Yeah. Another one is very recent. Uh, like last couple of years. Last recent. couple of years. It's the one foreign language film on the list. Parasite. Yep. Uh, and the last one is 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 uh, by a filmmaker who is it's the one you haven't seen, yeah. but you should see by a filmmaker who some would call quite akin to um, Tarantino, like certainly kind of. Moving in the same world. They both came from indies. This was his first studio film. It's also from the 90s, the late 90s, though. Okay. Uh, hmm. is, is this an American film? Yes. All right. I'll give you some of the cast. Yeah. Uh, I will not give you... Oh, well, it's like, what is... To- I won't give you the star. Yeah. Um, uh, Don Cheadle. Oh, is... Is 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 this a Soderbergh? No. Uh-huh. John C. Riley. Willie H. Macy. Oh right. Is 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 this a Paul Thomas Anderson? It is. Is it right, is right, but this is this is Boogie Nights? Yep. Yeah. Ding. So. Yeah. Finn. Correct. What have we learned from La Jete that we can tell to our listener who is trapped in a similar situation? I guess it's when you realize that once you've got the power source from people in the future, realize that people in the the post-apocalyptic present are going to kill you. So escape into the past where Mm. someone from the apocalyptic present kills you, becoming a loop of your own memory. Yeah. Uh, Which is pretty... Probably not super helpful. Yeah, I am... No, I I would suggest just, just take it easy, you know? Sorry, sleazy. The sleazy. That's yes. the saying. You take it sleazy. Yeah. And that's about it. Oh, great. Yeah. There is no free will in the universe. Everything is determined. Just, just sort of hang out. Yeah. And now for a very different view on the situation, let's look at um old 12 monkeys. Finn, mm. I have a bit of a problem. See, I started a monkey collection and I thought, you know, this will be pretty funny. I'll get, get it up all the way to 12. Mm. 
But once you've got like four monkeys, all they're doing it's, is fighting. You see, like we don't have extra rooms here. They're just there's four monkeys in my bedroom, yeah. and they the walls are caked in shit. Yep, uh, everything has been torn apart. Now, if 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 you if you'd come to me beforehand like you should, <laughs> I could have told you that this would happen. Look, I, I, I just wish I could go back in time and make a different decision. Uh, and so that's why we watched 12 Monkeys, uh, which is a film about someone who really regrets his monkey collecting. Yeah. Terry Gilliam. Uh, well, do you have a Gilliam take? I mean, I I like all the movies of his that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, he, 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 he is someone whose work has been, was, you know, incredibly formative to me as a, a comedy person. And as a and and as a film person, I've been watching Monty Python stuff since I was very young. I saw Brazil at a time where Brazil had a big impact on me. And like, I, I saw Doctor Parnassus when I was like nine. I was I like, oh, this of, is weird. I kind of feel like Brazil has a big impact on everyone who sees it. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Out of the, the there's something about Brazil seems to be a. A real fuck film can do that moment for oh, a lot of people, and myself uh, included, because that that film is is crazy. Yeah, it's 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 a film that teaches you that things can be like that, that like a film can be like beautiful and ugly at the same time. And like that, that is a a disgusting, horrifying world that is that is like captured in a way that is so. That is like so engaging and enthralling. Yeah, it's it's an all time great. Um, I I definitely Gilliam's masterpiece. Yeah. Um, but I remember like yeah, obviously the 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 key place to start with him is he was an animator who was who was brought on and joined the Monty Python team. Yeah. Um, and I I think my first exposure to Terry Gilliam because oddly I think my first Python was Meaning of Life. Right, yeah. Which starts with the Crimson Permanent Assurance, yes. a short film directed by Terry Gilliam about an insurance company where that mortal engines, yeah, and yeah. Yeah, they all become pirates. Yeah, um, and I just I remember seeing that as a child, and man, you'll never guess what happened to my bean. It was freaked. It was like you know, like what the what, fuck what, is that? What, what happened to your lid? I it, it came right off. <laughs> My my head explode. It, it was, and like, it's great. Like, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, yeah, no. Films can look like films yeah. can look like that. Films can look so, and like in a way, they're like. By that point, I'd seen Hook, where like a lot of the stuff with like Rufio, there's a real Terry Gilliamness to it. Or you right, could go, yeah. I'd seen George. I definitely must. Would I have seen Mad Max Thunderdome? Like, like there's a thing, but like, there's something so unique, like Gilliam, how far he pushes, like he loves his wide lenses and his insane art direction, but it feels so whole, right? Like so much about Brazil is that you're like, like the idea that there's an editing war, there was an editing war over Brazil, that there are three different cuts to Mm. it feels so crazy. And like, it got so bad. He like, he had to take out ads and, and like variety calling the producers assholes. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. That's something I find less entertaining now the more I learn about him. Because, mm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. seems like a dipshit. Um, yeah, no, he, he like, he he's a boomer. He says really shitty stuff yeah. now. Uh, and, and in the past said really shitty stuff. And the problem of growing up subversive as being labeled a subversive element 
is that you can very quickly begin to believe it. Uh, and, and so that when he says, oh, I'm declaring myself a black lesbian woman. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't even want to leave in a quote from him, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even like when he finally made The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, the, the, the film he had been trying to make for 20 or 30 or 50 years, uh, chronicled and lost in La Mancha, like, did you see that? Yeah. Like the tragedy of that film isn't that it's bad. It's fine. Yeah. It's it's absolutely a two and a half star. I always like watching Adam Driver and I think Jonathan Price is fun in it. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it it absolutely doesn't do what you what you want it to do. Well, and it is because and it doesn't feel like a Gilliam film. No. It feels like someone riffing on a Gilliam yeah, film. Like and there, he, there are these moments of hyperstylization or these moments where where he uses really wide-angle lenses and things look weird. But yeah, he's someone who can't get the budgets he used to, does not have access to the same resources (laughs) that he used to have. Well, and I was talking to you about... um, Yeah, I also just want to mention Dan Who Killed Don Kudo has a great cast, because like Jason Watkins is in there, Olga Kuryilenko, and still in Skarsgård, and they're all great. Like, it's... But it just sucks. Yeah. Um, it, it, well, it's, yeah, it's not a Gilliam film. Yeah. And, and my theory as to why, and like even his films that I've not liked, like uh, Tideland or Parnassus or um, like Fisher King, I appreciate more than I love. Mm. I wish I'd seen Time Bandits and Munchausen when I was a kid. Right, yes. Even though he was so influential on me, I still haven't seen a lot of those movies. Like I've never seen Tideland, Fisher King. I've never seen Time Bandits. I've never seen... Uh, Baron Munchausen. Time Bandits is something that if I was to ever have children, I would introduce them to them really quickly. Yeah. Is that it feels like something that operates best as a part of the bedrock of a child's imagination. Mm. Um, and like Munch, yeah, Munchausen is something getting a bit too big and crushing him a little. Right. Um, and yeah, and as I've said before, I think Brazil is the, the capital M masterpiece. Yeah. But yeah, even the ones I don't like, like even I think all like bro- the Brothers Grimm, mm. they still feel like Terry Gilliam films, yeah. and this doesn't. And um, yeah, we 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 were we were talking about uh, while we watched the film The Hamster Factor, which is uh, Gilliam hires documentary makers to follow his films to make documentaries about them. That's how we got uh, Lost in La Mancha, the yeah. documentary about the time he tried to make that film and it failed. Um. And the one that was made for 12 Monkeys that's on most 12 Monkeys DVDs and Blu-rays is called The Hamster Factor. And it's named after there's one shot in 12 Monkeys with Bruce Willis in in the future, in the apocalyptic future, where he's in a cell applying an injection to himself, injecting himself with something. Yeah, he's he's sitting naked in a chair. And and taking up maybe 2% of the screen as a hamster in a wheel returning in its wheel well, and, and it's like and it's it's behind a like semi-opaque piece of plastic yeah you can't really see it and um gilliam spent a whole day on that shot including hours dedicated to getting the hamster to turn in the wheel and like looking back on that footage and like if that's what he is like uh with a camera there i think that that terry gilliam like, I think it's the Miyazaki thing in a way in that he's demanding perfection and you kind of have to live with that. Yeah. Wit. Like, 
and I think I'll, in a positive way, I, yeah, I think The Man Who Killed Don Quixote is what happens when Terry Gilliam makes a film in an era where people are going to be like, no, stop shouting at right, me. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, or, like, actually, no, we can't do this. Mm. And, and it, like, it pains me because I think that's really key, like, to what makes 12 Monkeys good, that what makes Brazil good, that makes Time Bandits good is the sense that there's a guy in charge who is like, no, we're doing it this fucking way. Yes. Except that's, you know. That is a bad way to operate a film industry, but it's a it's often a good way to get uh, interesting and, and like, striking films made. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, so I feel bad for liking it, I guess is what I'm saying. So, yeah, 12 Monkeys is, as the opening credits state, inspired. By La Jete, but as we've said, it's essentially a remake. Where do we start? We start in an airport where we see some slow motion shots of a man with a long wavy hair. Oh, yeah. R- 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 running, running, running through. Looks like Bruce Willis. No, he's got, he's got long wavy hair. Can't oh, be, can't, yeah, can't, yeah. Can't, Bruce can't, Willis. Can't be Brucey. Yeah, no, fuck. He, he's running so through. He's waving a gun around. Yeah. He gets, uh, he, he gets uh, shot down. It's crazy. Bang, bang. There's a man carrying a briefcase with a, he's got a ponytail. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd hate for that to happen. I'd, mm. I hope it's not real. Oh, phew. It was a dream. Bruce Willis uh, waking up in a hammock, mm. like in La Jete. Yeah. Adaptation told you that's my it, one piece of yeah, uh, defense. In La Jete, they make him do heroin in a hammock to go back in time. Well, that's what I call it. Mm. Bum, bum, bum. That's what you call what? When I do heroin in a hammock. Oh, you call it going back in time? And I call it jeté. <laughs> and then I insist that my small, uh, 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 traumatized children uh, look after each other. And then they can just be in therapy, just like, yeah, I just, I realized I spent all those years. I thought dad was sleeping. Just, but he just was having just a nap. Christ. Everything I know about my childhood is unraveling yeah, but, like oh so that, that's why every time dad took a nap he woke up choking on his own vomit <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh no i mean oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> oh yes oh no mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> i enjoyed that one i don't know why well what, what's 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 your favorite movie where people do uh, heroin <laughs> All I can think about is how on season three of The Sopranos, which has a pretty heavy heroin mm. subplot in it. Um, uh, is, that, of- is, that, is that when Meadow gets on heroin? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I can't remember. It's the season uh, which introduces Joey Pants. Oh. Um, sorry, Joseph Pants. Um, jo- jo- Joseph Pantaloons. <laughs> <laughs> Josiah Trousers. <laughs> um, it is... <laughs> Fuck, that's funny. Um, it's not. Uh, it, is, <laughs> it just took, it just hit the funny you know, yeah, note. Yeah. You're like, that is no, <laughs> yes, funny. Anyway, um, every time the word heroin is said in the subtitles, it's spelt heroin like the heroic lead of a film played right. by a woman. Yeah. Anyway, that's like, all. Like, I- like, like the Lord album, you were heroin. Oh. I, so that's not about cat opiates, as I thought. No. Her heroin. Mm. Did you get it? Mm. Did you get her heroin? Mm. Fun. 
you're not laughing enough and that's hurting my tender feelings oofa doofa (laughs) (laughs) no so he he wakes up in a hammock oh no we should mention the first the very first shot is of a child's eyes right yeah he wakes up in a hammock in the future there's a guy in the hammock over with a busted eye yeah they're all in these disgusting cramped prison cells they're all just like stacked on top of each other in this weird gross uh, dank future prison yeah, and, and people uh, uh, like a crane is coming along, y- grabbing yeah. people and pulling them up, and you're immediately like, "Oh, how many people did Terry Gilliam <laughs> yell at to get that working?" And it looks so good. It, yeah, it, lo- it looks incredible. Oh, please. And, and yeah, so he 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 is uh, he 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 is he is chosen by the people who by the people who put him in the prison. Uh, to be picked up by the crane, like one of the aliens in Toy Story, or a Neo in um, the Matrix, mm-hmm. and uh, he he is made to leave the underground bunkers under Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. Yeah, yes, yeah. I believe it is in the same city that we're seeing everything else happen in. Because yeah. the idea is, I think he can travel in time, but not space. Well, no, I, I think at the beginning, I think he's in. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I, I know the, the the stuff at the end is definitely in Philadelphia, but yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure the first couple of times he goes, because because uh, he 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 goes and finds her in Baltimore, yeah. and then makes her drive him to Philadelphia, which is where the end of the movie happens. No, yes, of course, you're yeah, right. I'm wrong. But it, um, I but, just forgot about that. Right. Yeah. So he leaves the underground bunker in Philadelphia and goes up into the surface and. Uh, is essentially tasked with walking around and finding samples. Yeah. But uh, because he's in a Terry Gilliam movie, he's in a, a crazy, uh, like, see-through plastic radiation suit. Well, and because it's Terry Gilliam film, I presume he's getting these instructions just from a normal person. Oh, no, wait. He's lifting on a chair up onto the wall where a TV, like, multiple TV-headed, like, drone <laughs> talks to him in a computer voice. Yeah. No, of course. Of course, Terry. Cool. Up with this yeah, guy, Jesus. A very good sight gag where uh, he is taken into this room of scientists, and he, he he's standing right in the middle of a frame, and there are two guards flanking him, and then the guards leave, and it cuts to the the panel of scientists, and they tell him to take a seat. It cuts back to him, and he moves, and you see right, you see behind him, like like thirty meters back in the back of a room, is this just like blank steel chair. And he goes and sits in it, and arm things come and lock him in, and then the chair just shoots up on a vertical railing. It's it's fucking crazy, it's, guys. <laughs> like you're like, oh, that doesn't sound that crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. That shit. It it cray. Yes. Yeah. Like when when Terry Gilliam pulls off Terry Gilliam stuff. There is there, there 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 are a few things that I'd rather like watch a movie do. Well, yeah, it's just something so like oh, I want to say like sumptuous mm. or 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 crazy or like you know like yeah. it's there's something like, with, with Twelve Monkeys and Brazil. Gilliam just like fully changed how people think about what the future looks like. Yes, because like in in the fifties, well, like, like he like Gilliam is is someone who if you were to do the research you could f- you could easily identify all of his influences sure he, yeah he is he, he he's he's like he's like tarantino but he's drawing yeah. from like tons of stuff yeah. and turning it into something like new and yeah, it, yeah it's it's the mix that's yeah. so um novel yeah uh, and so like 
worth it. it but he's not. Mm. It's not like like it feels like there are things that marker are in, is inventing whole cloth for this. Yeah, and like like the idea like the foam iPads with the with the, with the electrodes on them. Yeah. Don't, I don't feel like they've come from somewhere. Maybe mm. they have, but you yeah. know what I and, mean. And, and v- 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 <laughs> there are like other pieces of eyewear in in, in large detail which feel like they show up again in, in Twelve Monkeys. Oh, there are almost certain direct, yeah. almost certainly there are direct references. Yeah. In, oh no, I'm sorry. Oh, just yeah. to complete my thought, is that like that drone covered in TVs? I'm sure you could trace it back to. There, there's some like it, there, there's there's some like European art. Yeah, there's some European like, yeah, yeah, some 20, European sci-fi yeah. comic. Yeah. Um, which is not, it's not a bad thing. It Mm. is just a point of difference between the two I want to underline. One is an influence and one is influence. Yeah. In sci-fi from the 50s and 60s, the future is always so sleek and so clean. In the 70s, the future starts to get kind of grimy. In in the 80s, it's, it's, it's grimy, but it's also, it's, it's also like neon. And then with Brazil and 12 Monkeys, he kind of perfects that idea of it's futuristic, but it is also shitty the like progress of capitalism doesn't make us all freer it doesn't make everything larger and more beautiful it means that we are all cramped into smaller and smaller spaces and more and more of our lives are about generating revenue for faceless corporations yeah absolutely and also the sense of everything being mixed and matched Mm. like everything jars against everything else but you get the sense of like his his transparent going up going to to radiation town suit his transparent plastic one you're like that that's weird oh and it kind of makes sense if that used to be like they had a whole system that looked like that yeah. and, and they weigh their glasses and everything is hodgepodge hodgepodged together like extending that idea of the the used future mm. which was a big thing coming up through like genre film and pulp novels yeah. uh, of the times. So it was hardly a new thing, but as a way to express it is really interesting. And it's something that is not really in La Jete. Mm. I have just remembered a key point I had about La Jete that's oh, yeah. gone. Can I raise it here? Sure. Is this interesting at all? Here is, do you know what interests me about La Jete's story? La Jete's story in and of itself is not um, innovative. Uh, it, it is the idea of, of someone traveling back in time and maybe being crazy and then, you know, they die and they and, and that and that and that completes a circle. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and and like not necessarily with La Jete's details, but that idea of a story like pulp science fiction had been doing that for twenty or thirty years, yeah. things like that, like cruel twist fiction, cruel twist time travel fiction. And, and and so what Marker is doing in, in Jete is taking a very old kind of story um, and adding and doing it in a brutally real way and a brutally real way that feels like the best way kind of to express that story. That's not maybe a short story printed on a, a reel of paper that's a Mobius strip. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that, another good idea. Anyway, um, and... and and it is interesting what time does because in 1995 for 12 monkeys, the story doing this story in this way, like genre action films, which 12 monkeys like uncomfortably is, but still is yeah. like have had stories like that. We live in a world of like, you know, demolition man. Right. Yeah. You know, fucking demolition man. And I think that's another big thing that has changed between them. If you know what I mean? Yeah.
And so we should also say about 12 Monkeys that the script was written by David Webb Peoples and his wife Janet Peoples. Yeah. I think this is the only feature that... Right, yeah. I think the only other films that Janet Peoples is credited on are documentaries. Mm-hmm. But David Wade Peoples is... I mean, we, we, we talked about him on the on the Blade Runner episode because yeah. he wrote Blade Runner, but he also wrote Unforgiven. His main three things were Blade Runner, 12 Monkeys, and Unforgiven. And, Which and is, that's, yeah. that's, that's and incredible. Did, and by my memory, he did not do much else, right? No, like, like, he, he's he, not... I mean, he, he, he did Lady Hawk. Yeah, he's credited on Soldier, the the Paul W S Anderson. But yeah, yeah, not 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 like a super prolific guy, but no. but 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 oh, and he 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 also wrote and directed the movie the 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 Blood of Heroes, oh, also okay. known as Salute of the Jugger. I I yeah, I've only possibly un, in that context only ever heard of that. Yeah, know? I'm going to tell you some of the cast of the Blood of Heroes. Oh, Rutger Hauer. Do, okay, great news. Joan Chen. Yep. Oh my God. Delroy Lindo. Okay, the, is this the perfect film? Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh... Like that, I just need to get some new pants. That, yeah, that's that's an incredible top cast. I, it's a post-apocalyptic movie where people play, where people uh, rove from town to town playing a sport that involves a severed dog's head. It's uh, it sounds awesome. I, mean, I people use words like perfect <laughs> so much immaculate, uh, immaculate that that they really they lose all meaning. Yeah. So understand it's with that context when I call that the the perfect solution. If the problem is how do you pitch a film, yeah, that's the perfect solution <laughs> to the problem. You know, like that's the most balanced um, mathematical answer you yes. could give. Holy shit! So they're like, we want to send you back in time. A virus has taken over the world. This is the first thing we learned. Well, he, well yeah. So he goes up above in the radiation suit. He yeah. gets some samples of bugs and stuff. And he also gets uh, growled at by a bear, played yeah. by a uh, famous Hollywood bear, Bart the Bear. It was lovely to see him. Yeah. He's, he's like, at, at one point, the highest paid animal in Hollywood. Uh, no. And then he was taken over by, oh, these days it's pro- hopefully Paddington, right? <laughs> For people who aren't familiar with Bart the Bear, you've probably seen one of his films. He was in 12 Monkeys. He was in Legends of the Fall. That's right. He worked with Brad Pitt twice. Yeah. He was in Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. He was in The Edge. That's right. He worked with Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins on the same film. He was in The Great Outdoors. He was the star of The Bear. He was in On Deadly Ground with Steven Seagal. He was in White Fang. He was in Benji the Hunted. He worked with Paul Walker in Meet the Deedles. Oh, mate. This guy, like... This is an incredible... He don't he hasn't got, <laughs> So they want to send him back in time. Yes. So he can st- st- they believe that a group called the 12 Monkeys released this virus. Yeah, so that's another difference is that in La Jete, the, the world was destroyed by war, mm. but in in uh, in 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 12 Monkeys it was it was destroyed by by a weaponized virus. Yeah. Um, and, and they, and so he sent into the past, mm. supposedly to 1997, the year the virus was released. Uh, six. six, the year before it was yeah. released because it killed everyone. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, but he sent back, he goes back too far. Yeah, he, he, he up, sent back to 1990. And he wakes up in 1990 and, and uh, he's like, there's a virus going to kill everyone. And they look at him and go, you know what you are? Right. To be fair, he is also sent back uh, completely naked apart from a plastic uh, see-through poncho. Yeah. 
it's pretty and, standard yeah, as far and, as I can tell. And because he is sent to America, yeah. uh, they do what the American mental health care system is so great at doing, which is uh, uh, beat him senseless and throw him in a room and, uh, uh, and uh, repeatedly attack him and, uh, and just scream at him that he's, uh, that he's crazy and full of shit. And so he 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 is he is put in this mental hospital. But yeah, who? Do, uh, but in this mental hospital, it's pretty normal and boring. Mm. Just full well, of. Th- 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 first of all, he's introduced to a psychiatrist. Yeah. Uh, play, played by the actress Madeline Stowe. Yeah. Uh, who bore some Last of the Mohicans. I think I probably like Last of the Mohicans more than I like Twelve Monkeys, but I think she is given a lot more to do here than in in, in that movie, and she is fantastic. In yeah, this. like there's one woman in all of Michael Mann's filmography is given a good role, and it's just kind of who you think that is. It's kind of a personality test. Do you yeah. think it's Jada? Yeah. Do you think it's Natalie Portman? Yeah. No. Um. Or you know, do you think it is? Is it Amy Brenneman? Yeah. Is is it? It's probably Tuesday Weld. Uh, is it? Um, oh come on! Is it someone bound? Bound and you know non Tilly bound. G- Gina Gershon. Gina Gershon and the Insider. Right. Yeah. Is, is it uh, any of the characters from uh, from from Jericho Mile? No, 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 no woman in that. Haven't seen it to comment, but sounds like yikes. Um, I mean, it takes place in a prison. I know, but you can still like oh, no, Orange is the New Black takes place in a prison. That's full of women. What's right. what's Jericho Mile's excuse? Right, okay, there are two women in Jericho Mile. Oh wow! Yeah. Congrats. Yeah, no, Madeline Stowe's given. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, it's great to see Madeline Stowe. Yeah. Um, uh, she's having a great time. I think. I, th- I think she's really engaging with yes. this with this film in a way that uh, Mohicans. She's such a plot token in a mm. lot of ways. Um, that she kind of feels a bit outside of the film and like yeah. shortcuts. Obviously, she's not given much to do because no one is in shortcuts. Um, but now, but and she's like, you you go in there, you'll meet some other patients. Don't worry, none of them are crazy characters. No, They're, all totally normal. And, and I just should tell you that the the location of this, uh, uh, um, uh. You know, this 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 mental hospital is so normal we call it nun floor of the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> and it is, I have to tell you, the location of this um uh, uh asylum mm. is so conventional we 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 should not even mention it. Yeah. It seems to be in a series of underground World War Two whitewashed tunnels. Yeah. If you live in Auckland, you've been up to North Head, you've been in the tunnels there. It looks like those tunnels. Yeah. It's great. The room where all the patients socialize is this big circular room with these corridors going off from it, and each corridor ends in a barred gate. And every single person in there could have a whole film about them. Yes, they're, they're all muttering and doing puzzles. <laughs> and some, you know, someone's wearing an admiral's hat. There's yeah. a man who's all upside down. They're, yeah. they're, you and know. and the, 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 this is where we get, like, a lot of the wide-angle lens stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot I've, of Dutch dangles, yeah. this salty and, licorice sequence. Yeah, and I think what, what what one of the things that Gilliam loves is using super wide angle lenses in very cramped rooms. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're like you know, and, and, and getting them close to people's faces. Yeah. There's nothing he likes to distort more than like 
He's like, I want this nose to stretch for miles. Yeah, and in, in, in most of the movies we watch for this podcast where someone uses a super wide-angle lens, it's it's because they're Luciano Visconti and they're showing us the incredible Sicilian countryside no. from the top of a mountain. But here it's no, you you you've 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 got to see you've got to see like Brad Pitt's like eyes twitching and going in different directions. And yeah, Brad Pitt is there. Yeah, he, he's he's playing uh, he's he's playing a guy called Jeffrey Goins, uh, who is ah. Uh, is he traveling at light speed? Because he talks a mile a minute. This guy, uh, I'd I'd forgotten how fucking nuts this performance is, and how like it's it's this this is this is Brad Pitt going for it. I think more than he ever has in any movie, and it like it's delightfully crazy. Yes, um, and it is also kind of I think the pattern for a lot of future crazy acting. Yeah, this 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 fast talking nervous tech, like mut- like muttering and stumbling. Like yeah, eyes constantly moving around. Yeah, in makeup he would be a modern Joker, you mm, know. Yeah. Um, and except uh, 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 like enjoyable to watch. Brutus is going like the world's going to end. Oh no, there's all this poison. Mm. There, there's uh, uh, everything's terrible. This guy, the head of the CDC, I think, and Brad Pitt's like, oh, that's my dad. Mm. Um, and, and oh, I think he's like a, a privately funded rich virologist. Yeah, but who could you get this this vi- the CEO virologist from the South? Who that's a lot of character. Yeah, and who could you get to plumb the depths of such a character? Well, surely it would be none other than Kevin Spacey. Yeah. No, no, none other than Canadian actor Christopher Plummer. Oh man, play, play, playing a real southern gentleman. He is Christopher Plummer in this film. Is I, he, he's got two scenes, and one of them he's in a bag. Oh no, he's got three scenes. I I, I said to you during it, just like it seems unfair that other people have to play villains in a world yeah. where Christopher Plummer has also played villains. There's, there's a there's a great bit which is very much like a moment in Rocky Five, where later on in the movie he gets a call from Madeline Stowe's character, yeah. and she says. Like there's there's, there's going to be a theft from from you from your virus lab that's going to kill a lot of people. You like you should update your security. Blah blah blah. And this is very important. Yeah. I mean he he's he like makes an excuse to hang up on her, puts the phone down, and just sort of mutters, "Women psychiatrists." Hey, please, with the southern accent, women psychiatrists. Oh, it's, it's, so, it's so it's so good. It drips like molasses. <laughs> oh, it's so I. It, it's just so good. Like, I just don't know what else to put on Christopher Plummer in this film. Yeah. Except it, I've, I've, it, I've, I've never seen him be bad in a movie. Um, uh, but, but Bruce Willis is brought back to the present apocalyptic future. Yeah. And he explains what happened. It's like, oh no, you just get Brad Pitt runs the 12 monkeys. You just gave him the idea right, yeah. to, to do this. And he's like, Oh, oh no, you've got to send me back to stop him. And so they send him back again. So in this first time, he's, he's in the past. He is arrested immediately. He's in the mental hospital the entire time. And then one day, Jeffrey hands him a key and tells him how to escape. And so he he gets most of the way out of the building before he is caught and yeah. and beaten and sedated. There's he, a lot of real good running down long corridors yeah. in this. Yeah. He is strapped to a gurney. And placed in a totally empty room with a ceiling like 15 meters high. 
The door it's is quite locked. hard to tell this is a Gilliam film yeah. at times, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, and the, the, the door is locked and bolted after him. And then we have a scene with Madeline Stowe's character talking with her boss. And then one of the orderlies comes in and says, uh, we've got a situation. And they, they go back to the room and he has disappeared. Yep. Uh, back to the future. Yep. So he goes back, but this time he's back in 1996. Mm. And Madeline Stowe is there, uh, looking great for someone who six years have passed for, and she's given a lecture. Oh, oh, oh. Do they send him to World War One before they send him? Before his first trip to 1996, he arrives at a battle in World War One right. and is shot in the leg. Right, yes. And because then, they, 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 they have still not figured out how to use time travel correctly. Yeah. Because as one of the scientists says, uh, this, this science isn't really, it's like, uh, I don't know, there's something about like, all, 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 all this science ain't exactly a science. Yeah. Um, I believe, no, that's the voice that's talking to right, him. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah, there, yeah. There's a voice uh, who's always like the person in the um, the, 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 the the bed next to him yeah. who you never see, uh, uh, who, who's talking to him and may ooh, be entirely in his mind. Oh, wow, wow, we were. Um, I do want to flag that one, because there's this uh, a board of scientists who he mm. reports to, Carol Florence, Bill Raymond, Bob Adrian, and one is Simon Jones, who is Arthur Dent the definitive oh, okay. Arthur Dent from uh, the radio and the TV series. Right. And at some points, the play. But they're like, you've got to fi- finish your mission, send you back. World War One shot. So, Madeline Stowe, six years have passed, you couldn't tell it on her. She's giving a lecture about Cassandra Complex, these um, mental, mentally ill patients of hers who... Who, who, who believe that they, are, that they are from the future or can see yeah. the future. And no one believes them because they're crazy people. And she's written a book about it. She's mm. giving a lecture. There's a signing. At the signing, a guy comes up to her and is like, what if they're right? Yeah. What and, if- and, and, you, and you can tell this is a good guy because he's played by David Morse and talking about how the human race is doomed. <laughs> and has a ponytail. Yes. Uh, where have we seen that before? Well, it doesn't matter, probably. Uh, um, he's like, what if they're the same people and the crazy thing to do is to keep consume like we do mm. here on Earth? And, of course, watching this film in 2021, you're like, yes, I agree with the... G- it's like Charles Dance in, in Godzilla, <laughs> King of the Monsters, where you're like, yeah, no, you're right. All humans should die. Mm, correct. Um, I just wouldn't want to be the person pulling the trigger mm. or uh, opening the canister, as we may see with David Morse. Yeah, and uh, J- J- Jess Verona, who's keeping track, uh, Yuva has now changed changed his last name from Shite to Melfus. Yeah, mm. and I just don't see why you need to mention that. It's just a common fact. <laughs> just yeah, so I don't know why that's news, mm. but cool. Mm. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Shoulderman. David Shoulderman is my name. Uh, Sorry, my... Um, uh, He, uh, Cole, Bruce Willis, arrives at the venue for this. James Cole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And... He is uh, in Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore, Midland. Yeah, it's the home of of Hannibal Lecter. And... um, yeah, name name something else from Baltimore. Proposition Joe. What what's that? Yeah, you should see the wire, shouldn't you? Oh right, yeah, that takes place in Baltimore. Yeah, hence my reference to it with the yeah. the the phrase "Bodymore Murderland." Right, yeah, I just forgot I forgot that the wire took place in Baltimore. So he's seen flyers for this book signing, and he turns up, 
And uh, and he kidnaps her. Yeah, being just the totally sane thing to do. Yeah, he, he chucks her in a car and says, you're going to drive me to Philadelphia? And she says, no, that's 100 miles away. And he says, too bad, we're doing it anyway. And off they go. Yeah, they, they listen to the radio on the way there. They have a good time. Uh, they bond a bit. They bond a bit. And she kind of stops being kidnapped by him after mm. a while. She kind of talks him around. He kind of talks her around. Um, yeah. So a, a bunch of uh, like stuff happens. They 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 get to Philadelphia. Yeah. They and, confront Goins. Well, no, first of all, they go looking for the army of the twelve monkeys. They get attacked by some people, and uh, he he uh, beats a guy to death. Uh, and then they find... That's in Bruce Willis's contract, right? Yeah. Like, he has to beat someone to death in every film. Yeah. It's what people forget about the whole nine yards. <laughs> that it ends with just him killing Matthew Perry. Yeah. And that the whole ten yards, Matthew Perry is being weekends that Bernie's. <laughs> trying to think of Bruce Willis movies that would be funny to say. But if, every movie I can think of is either an action movie he was in, which it wouldn't be funny to say, <laughs> or I'm just thinking of Vin Diesel movies. <laughs> like, I almost see The Pacifier. Because I know that's just a different, that's just a different bald guy. So they're looking for the 12 monkey. <laughs> he definitely kills someone. Oh, yeah, there. sure. Um, but, but, but uh, yeah, I, I think he probably, like, shoots someone and then, and then, like, says something roguish that he doesn't, like, beat someone to death with a telephone or whatever. So, so they 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 leave this building where he just beat someone to death, and they find uh, the building that the army of the twelve monkeys is based out of, uh, because the 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 first time that he went back to his present, they played him a they played him a message because there is an answering there is an answering machine service that he is supposed to. Uh, send that he is supposed to phone to let them know any information he has in the future. And when he's sent back to 1990, he tries to call this number, but because he is sent back too early, that answering service didn't exist yet. But when he gets back to his present, uh, they they play him a voice message, uh, which doesn't sound like his voice, but it, it but it tells him where in Philadelphia the Army of the Twelve Monkeys is based. Yeah, and so they just sort of stumble upon this building. He goes into the building, and it's a, it's it's like a, it's like a, uh, it's like an animal rights charity, and he starts telling them, you know, I'm 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 here to see the army of the twelve monkeys, and they they're like, oh, we don't know what you're talking about, and Madeline Stowe just starts being like, oh, he's a crazy person. I'm a psychiatrist. Dude. Just do whatever he says, and he pulls out a gun and starts. Starts training people, and they're like, fine, fine, we'll tell you about the Army of the Twelve Monkeys. And then Bruce Willis is like, see, I told you I'm not crazy, there actually is a twelve-monkey army. And no, no, then they steal their car. They oh, they tell him that Jeffrey is a part of their organization, but also that he sold them out and uh, went back to like work for his dad. Because um, his dad tests stuff on animals and their anti-their anti-animal testing. Uh, but 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 Jeffrey sold him out, and now uh, yeah went went back to work for his dad. Yeah, so he 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 finds out that Jeffrey's going to be at a party at his dad's place, and uh, uh, and and so uh, and and so Bruce Willis uh, steals their car and uh, and and drives off to the party with Madeline Stowe. Uh, pl- pl- plum- plumber's giving his plumber's giving a speech. And yeah, then, yeah, and great Bru- speech. Yeah. his big scene. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then Bruce Willis like shows up at the door, and some of the guards come and get Jeffrey, and 
And, and when they, yeah, when they bring Jeffrey over, Jeffrey is like, I don't know this man. Who, who's he? You should beat him or whatever you were planning yeah. for. And, I mean, I mean, as Jeffrey's, as Jeffrey's walking out, James says to him, I'm here to talk to you about some monkeys. Twelve of them. I love the film. And then Jeffrey turns around and he's like, every time I go to paraphrase one of his lines, I'm like, why, why do I bother? Yeah, it his, is. His, the words he says are so crazy, and the way he delivers them is so specific. Yeah, the 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 probable joke, the myth rather than the legend, the printing the legend rather than the truth vision mm. is that to get this performance, uh, Terry Gilliam took his cigarettes away, took Brad Pitt's cigarettes away, and I, I feel for, like, for, for the entire shooting. Yeah. Which I don't think is true, but it feels true, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like this, this feels like the performance of of someone going through serious withdrawal. Um, but yeah, once 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 Bruce Willis has said the title of the film, Brad Pitt's like, "Oh yeah, no, cool, sweet as," and he's like, "I, ha- you have to stop your plan about poisoning, about letting out this virus," and goes like, "My plan? That's your plan, yeah, I don't buddy. Want to let out a virus? Yeah, yeah, you." You remember you said it to me that mm. that whole plan's from you and Bruce Willis is like, uh, uh oh, <laughs> uh, so this is really, really all my mm. fault now. And yeah, and then he gets he gets thrown out of the party. Yeah. Oh, and this is after um, while he is driving along with Madeline Stowe, uh, his his leg starts bleeding again. Yeah, and. And she is like, why is your leg bleeding? He says, I got shot in, in the past, I think. Yeah. And and so uh, there's a scene in the woods where she uh, does surgery on him and, and pulls this World War One bullet out of his leg. And then, and then that's when he uh, possibly uh, murders her and, uh, goes, and, go, and goes to a party. There's yeah. a scene where he like grabs her and is sort of holding her really tightly. I mean, it cuts to him now at the party. Uh, and as, as he's getting kicked out of, so then as he's getting kicked out of the party because Jeffrey's done with him, yeah. he starts uh, fighting the guards and he, he 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 runs off through the house and uh, um, we see we see the guards looking through the house for him and when the guards are in the kitchen, all the kitchen staff are in there watching the TV and uh, they, they see a report about a a woman's uh, mutilated body being found in the woods. Yeah, and also an update on an earlier story about. Uh, while 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 they were in the car, uh, uh, there, there was there was a story about a boy in Fresno, California, mm-hmm. uh, R- Ricky Newman. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a story. There was a story on the radio about a boy in Fresno, California, called Ricky Newman, who uh, who who got stuck down a well, and Bruce Willis uh, seems to know or have, like faintly remember that. That that this new story all turned out to be a hoax, and that and that Ricky Newman was just hiding in a barn, and and yeah, so there's an update on that story about the authorities uh, lowering a monkey with a uh, corned beef sandwich down the holder to help Ricky Terry. Yeah, when I think of like being uh, stuck down a like uh, like a hundred foot well, yeah, in the complete dark, yeah, uh, I'm you know, I'm having to I'm having to tread water, yeah. What I really want added to that situation uh, is is a is 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 a monkey. I think I think that'd make it a lot better for me. I think it, it, it. I think I can't think of a situation which a monkey wouldn't improve. Mm. And I think that's just a good theory that I've gone through, um, my whole life with. Mm. So, like, part of why I was collecting 
the, those 12 monkeys, the four of which are just still absolutely wrecking my bedroom. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I can I can hear from through the walls occasionally. Yeah, we've had to do a lot of filtering to, to remove their persistent screeching yes. from this um, this here. Uh, um, sorry, Pigeon on Demand, cool, awesome sound team or podcast. Um, and... and he, it's because I've always, you know, when I've seen people, you know, it's always nice to have a monkey handy. So that if you're at a restaurant and it looks like, you know, a couple is having a serious conversation, maybe they're going to break up or, you know, someone's crying. You just chuck a monkey yeah. at him, start some chaos. You can't help but laugh yeah, or, you, or you, scream. You, you've, 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 se- you've seen sitcoms. You know that when maybe the writers are floundering a bit, you just chuck a monkey in there and suddenly everything's going to be hilarious. Yeah how joe rogan's career started that's why he was on news radio he Mm -hmm. was that was when there were labor laws so they were like who is the human who is the closest to a primate or or monkey and they were like immediately everyone in the room at the same moment said joe rogan but like that's when he still looked kind of (laughs) normal no but they knew what was coming they knew he would become a human silverback before time um what a what a, what a disappointing career. So Bruce Willis returns to, to the apocalyptic present. Um, and, and well, yeah, so he, he, uh, he, uh, he, he, he escapes from a house. He runs back to the car in the woods and, oh, well, you know, he, he, he gets her out of a trunk. He was just, he, he just put her in there. He didn't kill her. Uh, and then the, the, the police are chasing after him, coming through the woods. We see their flashlights in the distance. And we can hear some dogs, yeah. and uh, she starts. She keeps explaining to him, "No, you're you're crazy. These are yeah. delusions that you're having. You 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 have to turn yourself in, so so that you know, so so that uh, so the police won't kill you, and so that you can like get the help that you need to mm-hmm. to stop these delusions." And he kind of starts to believe her, and uh, go go and go go goes over to a stream and starts thinking about how like nice the streamers and how he could just live in this time forever because it's the world isn't terrible yet. Yeah. And he's jumping around in the stream and she is honking the horn to get the attention of the police and and explain to him, you know, you know, we 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 can we can get you the help you need. We can make sure everything's okay. And then you hear the splashing stop and she turns around and he's disappeared again. And and then we get then we get from people's some I love the storytelling. I love the sequence. Because we get him back uh, in in the apocalyptic present, yeah. and uh, the the scientists are all like, "What's going on?" He kind of explains, but he's like, "I'm keen to get back in there." Well, do you do 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 you remember what, what do you remember what the what the what the like first shot of of that bit is? No, it's like an oil painting, and then it pulls back, and you see Bruce Willis is looking at the painting, and then it cuts away, and you see that he is he is lying he is lying down on a hospital bed in a in a room surrounded by. Like by these like opaque plastic curtains, and all and all of the and all of the scientists are standing around his bed, and the painting is like is suspended above him, and and all the scientists start singing, uh, all the scientists start singing at him because yeah. they remember that he likes music. It's a standard normal film, yeah. That 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 standard normal people uh, yeah. would standard normally enjoy, yeah, and. and 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 they are doing this because he's found out that Jeffrey is both a member of the Twelve Monkeys and the son of this famous virologist whose lab the 
the the virus was leaked from, and so he's established the link between. Uh, he's he's figured out how the, the virus was released, so now they can go and fix it. And and so they're all singing him a nice song, and they present him with a pardon for his uh, crimes, which are uh, uh, unstated. Well, it, it's like uh, it's it's like uh, I think at the, at the beginning of the film, his his stated crimes are like disregard for authority. Oh yeah, but it's not more. You, you yeah. don't learn about the specific events. Yeah, yeah. Um, he. But now, yeah, now he acts like he's all, he's like, send me back. He starts telling them that they don't exist because he's been convinced by Manon Stowe that all the stuff in the future is just his delusion. I thought this was the next time, but yeah, anyway, you keep going. Yeah, no, because it's, it's while they're standing around with a painting. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. You, yeah, no, you are right. Yeah, because yeah. he, he just goes to 1996 twice. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Sorry, I just have it all messed up yeah. in my brain. It's okay. This movie's confusing. <laughs> I don't think it's when you're watching it. I the, this film has a reputation for being complex, confusing. Mm. Um, I think when you're, you're watching it, all of it makes sense, and the bits that maybe don't necessarily connect in logical terms connect in emotional terms. Yeah, it's um, just that there is there is a ton of there is a ton of like different chronologies and time hopping, and that's always hard to keep track of well, in movies. There's also a heap of stuff that you just don't need to know. Mm. Um, and, and that means that there are questions in it that seem obvious but are unanswered. But that's just because it wouldn't be, because they would be extra fat on the film. Yeah. You, like, you don't need to know it. We don't, um, you know, we don't need to know the rules. So yeah, he he, he, he starts kind of freaking out and telling the scientists that, 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 that they don't exist for a part of his delusion. And uh, then uh, th- that night, the voice comes back mm-hmm. and uh, uh, t- tells him that you know if, if he wants to go back to the past, he has to like play along. Mm. And so he 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 and and then is the scene where he's like, "I'm all in." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this and, is, and, and yeah. He, he's back on the big chair at the top of a lift, and the big floating TV ball is talking to him again. And he's saying, you shouldn't try and send a different team to the past to deal with this. I'm the most qualified person. Yeah. I've been there the most. I know the people involved. You should send, 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 send me back. Yeah. And they agree and yeah. do so. Yes. And, and he meets up with, with Madeline Stowe. Yeah. Who, who has now started to kind of believe him. Oh, well, yeah, no, this is, this is the sequence of storytelling mm. I really love is that yeah. we get this scene and, and like from context, we like within the scene, it seems like he's really in. If you just watch starting yeah. this, you'd be like, yeah, he's in on it. He goes back in time. He finds Madeline Stowe and he's like, no, you're right. I am crazy. Yeah. And she goes, no, 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 you're not crazy. Because while he was away, the police found the, the bullet from his leg in her car and they've analyzed it. And they're like, this is like 70 years old. Yeah, the, the, this, this bullet was fired sometime before 19, uh, before 1920. And she looks him, uh, looks a world world war one up in an encyclopedia well, no uh, so uh, in in the in the in the book that uh, she was doing a signing for earlier Mm-mm. in the film one of the case studies she uses is uh, is 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 bruce willis's friend jose yeah who is in the cell next to him at the beginning of the film yeah and then uh, shows up in in the world war one sequence yeah uh and then and yeah i mean she writes about him in her book as this, as this person who claimed to be from a future who showed up out of, who just like appeared from the sky in, yeah. in this, in this French trench in world war one. Yeah. Uh, and, 
and I mean, she and there was a there was a picture of him in 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 her book. Yeah, and then she 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 goes back and looks at the rest of her research photographs, and she finds another photo taken at, at the same time where you see in the background reaching for Jose is 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 naked muddy Bruce Willis. So we get this. So we get this run of like him. We think he's doubting. We think he's in. We think he, he now thinks he's crazy, and she now thinks he's telling the truth. Yeah. So they've they've like it's just this wonderful progression of small changes, small beats that entirely flip the film. And yeah. this is where the film goes into its its final act. They're like, okay, oh, we gotta yeah. stop this. Yeah. So they're both back in Philadelphia. She's gone back to the Twelve Monkeys headquarters and is uh, spray painting stuff on the side of their building. Yeah. Uh, uh, he he comes up to her. And uh, she she tells him that there's a police officer over there. You better hide. And he says, "No, I want to. I want to turn myself in." Yeah. You you told me I was crazy. I agree with you. Let's 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 do it. let's do this. I want to get help. Yeah. And and she uh, doesn't want to do that. Well, and and this play of of one of them being the Mulder and one of them being the Scully, mm. but it flipping in the middle of their relationship is the thing Jete doesn't do yeah. with this idea and can't. And so it is, it is, it's the thing I treasure the most. And I think mm. it's people's best storytelling. Yeah. Um, and, and well, yeah, I don't love Blade Runner as we've discussed. Mm. Um, but, but Lady Hawk. Oh. Uh, they get to an airport because they're going to go to Florida. Oh, I mean, you, 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 you missed the hotel scene. <laughs> Okay, my apologies for wanting to keep yeah. this podcast I'm, under two yeah. hours. <laughs> they go to a hotel because she needs to explain to him, no, you're, you're not crazy. Here's why I know that all the stuff you were saying before is actually true. And when they go to the hotel and pay for a room for, 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 for the hour, the, the, the desk clerk thinks that she is a prostitute. Yeah. And uh, it turns out that, that this hotel is part of the turf of a, of a pimp called Wallace. Yep, and so the and so the clerk uh, calls Wallace and and says, "Hey, I think uh, I think I think uh, uh, I think I think some yeah I, I think some girls has has brought has brought has brought someone to your turf." Yeah, and so while while they are uh, while while they are uh, having this discussion, uh, Wallace bursts in, and uh, uh, he's he's yet another. Uh, 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 I'd say a uh, 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 un- unpleasant, uh, uh, un- unpleasant uh, ter- Terry Terry Gilliam uh, character. There's a uh, I don't know. There's a sense of him just being. Uh, you couldn't do it today, is what I'll say. You couldn't because of the snowflakes. Mm. They, he 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 bursts into their room, uh, takes off his leather jacket, pulls out a coat hanger, and goes to hang it up on the wall, and just starts being like, "What are you doing, bitch?" And then when Madeline Stowe comes over to say, hey, I think there's been a misunderstanding, uh, he backhands her in the face. Yeah, it's it's pretty unpleasant. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bruce Willis uh, picks up a telephone and uh, uh, and uh, uh, starts smashing him in the head. Yeah. I mean, uh, drags him into the bathroom uh, with a knife and looks like he's going to stab him to death, but then uh, ends up uh, pulling out some of his own teeth because uh, there is a tracking chip implanted in his teeth, and that's how the, yeah. the people from the future keep finding him. Uh, and then, like in boss level, and uh, oh, I, didn't, I didn't see that one. I hope you like seeing Frank Grillo removing his own teeth. Then, mm. 
And yeah, so then they escape and leave Wallace like tied up in the bath. Uh, and then the police come and uh, there is a great shot. They're like main hotel room looking through the door. You see Wallace's shadow. Yeah. Uh, and just, just calling out to the police like, I just got mugged by some cokehead bitch and a really fucked up dentist. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great line. Yeah. Um, but that scene to me feels weird to me because it does seem like it is the film going like, oh, we need something sellable. Mm. We need like kind of a beat that yeah, you expect yeah, from that, this film. Yeah, that, that's that's like a trailer moment, and it, and it, it, it's so clearly a dog leg in the plot. And I think that I I used to find it entertaining, but now combined with knowing Gilliam's regressive, it's just it's one of those things that time has made less and less ironic. Mm. Uh, it seems less like a genre exercise than it does just a uh, a mocking sex workers. Yeah. And an excuse to have someone hit Madeline Stowe. Well, anyway, yeah. uh, they, they get to the airport. Um, he, oh, they also watch Vertigo. Oh, yeah. Hello, hello. Not a place called Vertigo. Yeah, and, and while they're watching Vertigo, they put disguises on. Well, this is, and it is like this, you can feel the film creak a bit. Yeah. Because it is like, okay, we know we need Bruce Willis to get in disguise. We can't just introduce that. We kind of need to lead into it. Okay, we'll have them watch Vertigo because that's about disguise. So we're yeah. kind of lampshading it. Um, they they go to the airport in disguise, and they and, and like Bruce Willis does look like he's doing his audition for the yeah. film of the Saint. Oh, it well, is one of Val Kilmer's wacky disguises well, from that well, film. Also, the like that 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 night while they're watching Vertigo, uh, Christopher Plummer is kidnapped by uh, uh, by 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 Jeffrey and the rest of the Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, and uh, they take him to a zoo. And then, uh, and then the next morning we find what uh, while while Bruce Willis and Madeline Stowe are in the car, yeah. uh, they 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 find out what the twelve monkeys are up to, which is uh, they uh, they 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 put Christopher Plummer uh, in, in one of the cages and released all the animals in the zoo into the city. So they they they, they were not trying to uh, do any uh, crazy virus stuff. They were just doing yeah. some like pretty average animal rights activism. Yeah, standard animal rights yeah. stuff. Um, and so they go to the airport, and at, at, at the airport, Bruce Willis calls the phone line yeah. to give a message to the future, being like, "No, the twelve monkeys aren't it. it, it it's, it's something else. It's yeah. some other guy." And and we also see uh, we we also see in a scene that that David Morse uh, works for Christopher Plummer in the virus yeah. lab, and he is also at the airport. Yes, uh, and, and talking in a very suspicious way that makes mm. it seem like. He's traveling all over the world to distribute a killer virus. Yeah. He bumps into Madeline Stowe yeah. at a like concession stand or whatever. Yeah. We buy uh, plane concessions. Uh like uh what do people have on planes? Uh bad food? Oh, wouldn't you believe it? <laughs> I will, I've seen it. I've yeah. tasted it myself. Really? You, you've been on a plane? Yeah, it's just hard to make food that tastes good in a situation where your sense of smell is heavily reduced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the main problem yeah. with, with uh, airline food. I know. And that's why the best drink to get is black coffee, because you can't smell it. And, and because and because then you just get to think about that great black flag song about black coffee. Um. And my great idea for a pop-up restaurant, black coffee and somewhere to sit, where mm. we only serve black coffee mm. and somewhere to sit. Mm. I genuinely really like that idea. I've pledged me that. And I'm making tens of dollars. That's a self-pledge and it's just $10. 
Yeah, so uh, uh, she 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 bumps into David Morse and sort of recognizes him as the weird guy from her from yeah. her book talk, the guy who talked like he was trying to end the world. Yeah, yeah. Then uh, then he walks off and she looks down and sees a newspaper and there is a uh, there, there is an article about Christopher Plummer being kidnapped. Yeah. We have a photo of the article was taken in his laboratory and you see David Morse in the background, which yeah. is an, another bit where it's like kind of kind of creaky. Well, and. and- um, Bruce Willis bumps into his friend into Jose, um, who's like, like, yeah. As, as soon as he hangs up that call that he made to the future, we uh, made to the future answering machine. Uh, Jose shows up with a with a gun. Yeah, and, and is like, we decoded your message in the future. They sent me back. Here's your gun. You got to just just do your job. And he's yeah. like, you, you you like this this is this is we 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 know that this is the time and date where the virus is released. Yeah, someone here. Like there's there's someone in this airport right now who is the person who's going to kill us all. You need to go and kill them. And luckily, uh, and luckily at this point, uh, Madeline Stowe is like, it's that guy. Yeah, she 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 sees the photo. She makes the connection. Yeah, she she runs over and says, "Hey, it's 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 the ponytail guy with the briefcase." And, and so Cole runs after him. There's there's some scuffle. There's some shouting. He- uh, well, yeah, there's there's a bit of, there's a bit of, uh, there's a bit of security where where uh, he he is putting his he's he's putting his briefcase of viruses through 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 the scanner. Yeah, and and the security guy says. Well, we're going to need you to to open up some of you to to open up this container of deadly viruses. And he's like, sure, sure, I'll I'll do it. Like, uh, and, and he's explaining, oh, see, they're, 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 they're totally invisible. You, know, you can't see them. It doesn't look like anything's there, but but they're really there. Yeah. And then is a, a very funny bit where he, he he takes off the lid of of the of the vial and holds it under the guy's nose and says, see, it doesn't even have a scent. And the guy's like, oh, it's, that's not necessary, sir. And it is like. <laughs> It's such a good moment that it almost makes you forget that he's got a ponytail, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, yeah, and, we, and when he does that, David Morse just gives this, like, great smile of, like, I just gave this guy uh, the world's ultimate virus. And, now, <laughs> and Bruce Willis changes into his second disguise, which he should notice at this point. Is like, am I dressing into the exact disguise that no, makes me look like... That's that's what I saw. That, <laughs> that That's that's exactly what that man who I saw get killed was dressed like. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't think about that, especially since I'm a, I've just been given a gun to chase someone. Oh, like, that exact gun that I remember him holding and... In my in my memory, and, and, and uh, we there are a few lingering shots. There's a family with a little boy mm-hmm. uh, who he's you know he he's no god. Come on, he's no JGL with a fake nose, yeah. but he, he's a passable young Brucey. Um, and, and so, but Madeline says like it's him. You got to take him out. There's scuffle. And yeah. He breaks through security, um, and, and points his gun at David Morse. And the um, and security shoots him dead. Yeah, uh, in front of himself, David Morse gets on the plane, sits down next to one of the scientists from the future. Ooh. What does it mean? So, is do you, do you, do you think that's supposed to be a younger version of of that woman, or is or is that? Sh- she went back in time to sit on this plane. Um, I like either reading, and I like that it's ambiguous. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if she's mm. old or young, whether she's time traveled back, or whether you know one of the people who's trying to solve the problem is one of the people who caused it in the yeah. first place. I like that it's ambiguous, and and for me, the gesture of that moment is like this is so much bigger than you think, guys. Yeah. 
this is you are just seeing one inch of a massive conflict and, and it, it, it like i think either way yeah. it, it plays into the the terry gilliam thing of people in power being incompetent and sinister either she caused the problem in the first place and, and is now playing with people's lives to try and fix it or she she, she is just like kind of messing with everyone she is using this entire mission to the past as like a way to get rid of undesirables yeah i know there are so many articles explaining Mm. it uh and many different interpretations and yeah i think that's missing the point Mm. um and, and then we return to young bruce willis bruce willis is a child getting in the car with his parents um, and we end on a shot of his eyes that matches the first shot of the film. And that's the end. Yeah. Um, uh, this film cost $30 million. It made under $200 million, but it's still like, as much as I mean, this- is, 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 this, is this his most like successful film? Uh, it's certainly one of his, his most visible film yeah. in a lot of ways, I think. And like as much as I am like delighted that this object exists, this three hundred miller kind of sci-fi action thriller, but it starring Brad Pitt and Bruce Willis and Madeline Stowe and and David Morse was made by Terry Gilliam and an actually like this isn't getting Chloe Zhao to direct the Eternals and you know directing half of it for her in previs. This is like. They made a Terry Gilliam film and they released it and it, it yes. was really successful. It was really big um, and not, and like some maybe kind of despite it, but also kind of for it. But it is also, it's a film I, I like and enjoy. Mm. But yeah, Jeté is the influence and this film is the influence. This is a mm. film that a lot of things feed into, but it is telling that of the things that have followed are like, People, you know, Brad Pitt's personification of insanity kind of becoming somewhat codified is how people are crazy in films. Yeah. And a like sci-fi channel four season adaptation. Mm. Um, whereas when you look at the things that followed Jetta, it is like it just like the compa- by comparison it suffers, but a key part of that comparison is that like Jeta is Marker was making films for himself that other people would see. That's yeah. like that other people happen to see that like his perfect life would be sitting at his editing deck, just making films. And if only he wanted to watch them, mm. like this is a commercial object. This is, this is Terry Gilliam goes mainstream. This is the mainstream version of the plot with the ro- with like a uh, kind of 1995 romance at the yeah, center and, of it. Yeah, and, and, and big stars and, and it doesn't do an, and like, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and 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 yeah, and and it is great that someone as weird as Terry Gilliam got to make a movie as weird as this with with like Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt. But it should have been weirder. Yeah, and it, it is. It's like it's sound, but like almost all my compliments for it are like this is a weird film with an interesting story, and it's weird for the fact that it's a film that made over a hundred million dollars. It's not weird on its own terms. It's actually quite a conventional film in most ways, but aesthetic. Yeah. Especially now that genre is the only genre. Um, but it's still sound. Yeah. Um, and it, it, like if you've not seen it, it's great fun. But like do them both as a double bill. 
yeah. I think I it, think it's it, 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 it's a it's a good way to watch both films. And it 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 it, it, it complements Jitte more than Twelve Monkeys, but it doesn't ruin Twelve Monkeys. Mm. I think. Um, what do you think it is? I mean, yeah, I I I, I agree with its sound. I I, I think I, I think I like it more than Jitte just because it's like more fun to watch. But I, I I think it's one of those situations where like where like Jitte is. The, is the superior film, but if but I would watch Twelve Monkeys again before I watch Jeté again. Oh yeah, yeah, Jeté is the best, but Monkeys is more fun, and that's actually kind of important. Yeah, and like makes you wish for a world in which, you know, imagine if Tim Tim Chalamet and uh, Zendaya could be in a film where Tom Holland is third build as a crazy man who's not actually involved in the plot where in $30 million film made by Terry Gilliam or whatever, you know, yeah. wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Um, I'm glad we both agree it's sound though. No one could disagree. No, no one. But we, 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 no, but we, we're we, alone we, in that. Yeah, yeah, we both think it's sound, but it's not a masterpiece. I and I, I would firmly say that we're the people who like it the most in the mm. world. I don't think you could find a view by someone who liked it more than us. You know, Ufa. no, no, Finn. I've I've just found a review by Letterboxd user Harper Harris. Okay, okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. It's a five star review of Twelve Monkeys. Oh wow, the not TV a show star review. No, it doesn't go that high. But okay, yeah, I mean it'd be funny. I mean, like if if it was a twelve star out of twelve star review, like it's the the same as a five star out of five star review. Like yeah, yeah, like it would fraction. just be funnier though. Oh, Letterbox isn't about comedy, Yutha. It's about people failing at comedy, usually. Would you, would you like to hear Harper Harris's uh, five star review of Twelve Monkeys? Lay it on me. A pretty perfect combination of a brilliant idea by Chris Marker, the complex adaptation by, by, by the peoples, and the unmistakable style of Terry Gilliam. I love the many little touches of synchronicity between Cole's time and the 90s, but hint that perhaps he is crazy while we're being hit with lots of clever time travel twists. Brad Pitt is obviously hilariously perfect in one of his best roles. The Vertigo sequence is phenomenal, and Cole's commentary about how a film changes each time you see it because you are a different person each time is incredibly poignant. Five stars. Like, yes. But, like, to be somewhat cruel and, and elitist for a minute there, that review reads to me as the review of someone who needs to see more films. Uh, would, would, you, would, you, would you like to guess Harper Harris's top four films? I'll go on. Okay. The first one is one that, if you were going just by the image of the poster, you'd say, hmm, I bet that film is called uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Shiny Face. Hollow Man? Uh, oh, American Psycho? No, no, like like a like uh, like like a torch, like a torch face. Oh, uh, Blair Witch, <laughs> Mister Shiny Face. So he's his it, face is bright. There's light shining out of his face. Oh, oh the has, thing. Yeah, yeah, great, right, uh, great. Mister Shiny Face is maybe a better title. The second film on the list is uh, another film about memories. Eternal uh, Sunshine. No. And remembering something specific. Eternal sunshine? <laughs> um, okay, you got to give me something else. Uh, hmm. Everything is, everything is obvious for this. Uh, okay. Um, uh, ready Player One? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a good movie. Um, 
let's see. Uh, there are a uh, there's a surprising amount of uh, drop kicks in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's that, that's one of the defining features of this very very good movie. That it's full of drop kicks. Yeah. Um. Okay. Decade. Uh. Uh. uh two two thousands. Oh my god. Uh, um. I've seen it. Uh. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh god. Do I like it? Yeah. Oh god. It's. Probably this director's best film, although they did a film a few years ago, which is which is also incredible. The Departed? No. No, no, no. A, a, a film from like two years ago. Okay. The, the, this thing this thing the, this thing that they're remembering? It's a it's a crime. And they're having memories of this crime. <laughs> Rashomon? It stars Song Kang Ho. Oh, right. No, it's not his best film. It's Memories of Murder. Yeah. Um, Every film Bong makes is his best mm. film. That's part of my theory of Bong Joon-ho. Each of his films is better than the last. Well, I disagree with that. Yeah. Get back to me when you're older. Uh, I, just, I just, I don't know. Not, 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 not huge on Okja. Or, or the host, frankly. I think I think they're both good, but not nearly as good as the film surrounding them. Uh, then we've got uh, we've got a film about uh, uh, we've got a film where a normal office worker fights a giant samurai. Uh, Brazil. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thought I'd give him an easy one that time. I, I mean, or sucker punch. Uh, and then, she's an orifice worker. The final film is. Uh, I mean. Everything of this seems incredibly obvious. Lion King. No. It's a film about uh, what if your girlfriend died and then you saw someone was like, oh, she kind of looks like her. It's Vertigo. It's Vertigo, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, you're right. There, there is kind of... Yeah, it, it, it's, hard to give, uh, it's hard to give subtle clues for Vertigo. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Harper Harris's top four films. All, all good. Yeah, but watch other films, Harper. They're fun. Yes. Where can people find you online? Uh, who fucking cares? You can find the show on Twitter <laughs> at ShiteSoundPod, or you can email us at ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Why not check out our website? It's at ShiteAndSound.com. Uh, if you like me and what I do, which I, I hope is uh, true, check out my various social medias. I'm at YouthaLives. Sign up for my newsletter at bit.ly slash YouthaLives and listen to my other podcast, the audio drama The Witching Hours, and uh, the slow path where me and my partner watch Doctor Who until we die. If you like the show, like and subscribe, tell your friends. Why not? Uh, our theme song is The Nux by Kazam Blam. Check him out on Bandcamp. What are we watching next week, Finn? Uh, next week, we are watching another film by Kenji Mitsuguchi. We are watching Ugetsu Monogatari. And what are we watching with that? Uh, no idea yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. It'll be a surprise for you as much as it is um, for us, hopefully. Yes. Movies are good. Even bad ones. Go, Go watch them.
Finn. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Oh, I'm trucking along. I'm getting by. I'm, 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 I'm actually a bit quiet, so I'm going to turn myself up. Yeah, there I am. Ready to party. Ready to rock. We'll, we'll try take that again. Yeah, when you said he's going to turn himself up, he just did a bump of coke. <laughs> 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 